What's up, everybody? Jeremy Weiss here with Weiss Tech Hockey, and uh, we've got a special soundbite tonight. This is part three of our series on coaching women's hockey or coaching coaching girls hockey. We've had a lot of requests to address some of these, uh, you know, questions and, and and issues with coaching women's hockey, and so we decided to do a, a three part series, um, just kind of you know talking through it and going through what are some of the main things you should be focusing on when you're working with your girls. And uh, once again, we've got for part three, we've got a special guest. This is uh, my father, Stan Weiss. Dad, welcome again to the show. Thank you. And uh, if you haven't caught up with parts one and two, I strongly suggest go back and listen to those because part one addressed, you know, most of the differences. So that was a fairly long episode, but that addressed most of the differences between, um, you know, the, the physical skills and the, and the physical parts of the game, um, the game itself. And then also, you know, some of the social aspects of, of coaching girls versus coaching boys. Um, part two talked about the development process at the U12 level. And the reason why we kind of cut at the U12 level is because that's, that's the age when the kids start, uh, you know, kind of reaching that maturity level where, you know, some of the boys are hitting growth spurts. And uh, it's, it's where there starts to be more of a divide, I guess you could say, between, uh, you know, what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl um, for, uh, you know, for, for sports and athletics. So um, we cut that U12 and we talked a little bit about stuff, stuff that should be developed at the U12 level. And today we're going to be moving forward with the development process for U18 and beyond. So um, I guess, Dad, the, the, there's a couple questions that came in. And um, it was actually surprising to me because I didn't realize these, these were issues. But there were two questions that came in about uh, avoiding concussions in women's hockey. And that had never crossed my mind before. I didn't even know it, it could be an issue. I mean, obviously, we know that people are a lot more concerned about concussions nowadays than, than they were even 10 years ago. Um, but I didn't, I never had considered concussions specifically for women's hockey. So I decided to look into it. I, I actually asked on uh, the, the question that came in on Facebook. I said, is this more of an issue in women's hockey than it is in men's hockey? Um, because, you know, why would it be brought up? Um, so I looked into it and I actually found a stat that, uh, you know, we could go in so many different directions with this stat. It, it, uh, it blew my mind, made me a little bit upset actually when I read it just because of some of the other stuff, but I, f I figured we'd talk about it today. Um, but there was a study that went on, um, uh, by the Mayo Clinic. And now remember the Mayo Clinic is the same group that recommended we push the checking age back for boys hockey to ban them. So they recommended that, I believe it was in 2010, and that was the same year that this study was, was, was uh, conducted. So here's the findings of the study. Women's ice hockey was reported as one of the most dangerous sports in the NCAA, as the concussion rate is 2.72 per 1,000 player hours. Even though men's ice hockey allows body checking, which is illegal in the women's game, the rate of concussions for men is 46% lower at 1.47 per 1,000 player hours. So that stat just in and of itself kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And my first question was, well, why? Why are there more women's concussions in a non-check game than there are at men's, in, in the men's game? In fact, the men had 46% fewer concussions or lower concussion rate. Um, the next question, or I guess, so the first question was why, and the article attributed it to unanticipated collisions. Now, this is where I, I, I go off on a soapbox a little bit, but unanticipated collisions, I believe that could be a probable cause for women's concussions as well as men's concussions. 
But if that is the cause, then why are we're, that, that means we're fighting the wrong battle. Pushing, checking back to Bantams isn't, isn't going to do anything to stop concussions if the real problem or the real reason is unanticipated collisions. In fact, I think that would I'd venture to say that probably make it worse. I'd venture to say that getting the players used to collisions at younger ages and keeping their heads up and all that stuff um, would probably be a better solution than pushing it back and back and back. Anyways, like I said, this has nothing, this, this part's a soapbox for me. But um, what I wanted to do is, is ask you your opinion. I mean, do you find concussions at a higher rate amongst your, your girls? Have you experienced that? And if so, would you attribute it to unanticipated collisions? Um, you know, what, what's your take on it? Uh, well, the last two years that I've been involved in coaching the uh, under-19 team, I haven't had any concussions uh, on, on, uh, on my team uh, during a girls' game. But I have had four girls who have had concussions playing high school hockey with boys. So, so I think uh, uh, my experience is a little bit different than, um, than perhaps what the NCAA is, is reporting. Uh, but with what the NCAA is reporting, I, I have to tell you, I really believe um, that, uh, that, that body checking should not be a function of, of age, but a function of level of play. And, and if you start AAA hockey at age nine, which you do in most locations in Canada and the United States, at the AAA level, at the highest competitive level, uh, I think body checking should be encouraged and taught um, from the youngest age, age groups. Uh, a nine-year-old, even having an unanticipated collision, is less likely to cause uh, a concussion uh, than if you get an uh, unanticipated collision um, at the age of 13, where at 13 or 14, you can have five foot two boys who have not hit their growth spurt, and you can have six foot two boys who have hit their growth spurt. So you've got 180 pounders and 120 pounders playing on the same ice together. That's where unanticipated collisions can cause some serious damage. And to your point, uh, Jeremy, I think that it's very important that you begin playing with your head up, being aware of the patterns of hockey that are taking place around you and who, uh, who is where on the ice and what the likelihood of a collision is going to be. And if that can start at a younger age rather than older, I think your chances of serious uh, head injuries will reduce. Uh, one of the questions that came in actually is right along these lines. Do you think checking should be allowed in women's hockey? Uh, and that's, I, that's an opinion thing, right? But what are your thoughts on it? My, my personal preference would be uh, no. And it's not because uh, I don't think that body checking uh, is going to cause injury. I just think that, uh, that there are uh, differences in the style of play. And when you don't have body checking, there is an element of intimidation that is removed from the game. And, and I think that, uh, that in the women's game, the, the focus is more on skills and development rather than on intimidation and overpowering physically. And, and I think that's, that's appropriate for the women's uh, game of hockey. Okay. No, I, I think that's fair enough. I, there, I had talked a little bit, of, I think it was probably a week and a half ago, about 
about a butterfly effect, you know, when, when we start tweaking with rules and how it affects the game, you know, and then we make more rules to change those effects of what we had changed with the previous rules. And all of a sudden we've got a different game than what we used to have because of these rules upon rules. Um, but I, I kind of, I think I see where you're going with that. You know, I, so you, so basically you're saying you like the style of play where it is right now with the women's game. I think it's very appropriate for the physical attributes and differences between women and men. Perfect. Perfect. Um, equipment. Do you see any, uh, any problems with equipment? Do you think equipment could be attributing to or are contri- contributing to some of these concussion issues? I, I think it is. I think at the girls level, uh, perhaps not at the NCAA level, but I think at the girls level, um, I think that, uh, that, that two things need to be that coaches need to be aware of. Uh, a lot of the parents think that because uh, women don't have body checking, that they don't need high quality helmets, and and I've seen uh, you know girls uh, come to training camp with helmets that had uh, grossly inadequate padding on the inside, uh, old helmets, hand-me-down helmets that didn't fit properly, uh, but they frankly thought that it wasn't going to matter anyway because there was no body checking allowed, and and I I just think that's an opportunity to uh, you know an invitation to have a concussion. So I think the coaches should be mindful of the fact that people take for granted that there won't be any concussions because there's no body checking allowed. And, uh, and if the majority of concussions are caused from unanticipated collisions, then that's probably even more important that you have uh, quality equipment. Uh, another thing that uh, reduces concussions is to have high quality mouthpieces. And, and uh, if you can protect the jaw uh, from shock, then you can reduce the likelihood of concussion. And again, I think because uh, in the women's game that uh, body checking is not allowed, that people take for granted that they don't need a shock doctor type high quality mouthpiece uh, if they're a woman. So I would just uh, make sure that at the beginning of every season that the coaches check with their women's teams and make sure that they do have adequate uh, safety uh, especially helmets and mouthpieces. Good. I like it. Uh, what about the differences between uh, body checking and body contact? And we talked a little bit about this in, in part one, but, um, you know, obviously body checking is illegal in the women's game, but a lot of people get, get that confused and think that that means they can't ever play the body on somebody. So what do you teach your players, um, you know, especially as they start getting into that older maturity level, uh, you know, how do you teach them? What, what do you teach as far as body contact versus body checking? Well, the most important thing is you have to have agility. Uh, in order to play body contact effectively, you have to have uh, a, a lot of agility. You've got to have quick feet. You've got to be able to, uh, to keep square to the puck carrier. Uh, but the difference between body contact and body checking is that in body checking, the defender initiates the hit. So the uh, defender actually goes forward and makes an effort to go forward and initiate the contact. Um, In body contact, the puck carrier initiates the contact. So if I'm uh, if I'm defending uh, and and the person gets into the shooting zone and I put on my brakes as a defender when I'm squared up on the shooter and the shooter has no choice but to run into me. That's body contact, and that's not a penalty. Um, if instead of stopping and having the, the puck carrier initiate the contact, if I stop and move forward 
and uh, and finish with a pop to use your terminology, Jeremy, then then that is uh, that's body checking, and you're going to get two minutes. Gotcha. Um, there was something I was about to say, and I and I forgot what it was. But uh, no, I, I like what you're saying. And uh, oh, that's what it was. I was going to say it's basically it's the difference between force and contain. You know, when we're talking force versus contain, and uh, I guess maybe one of the best ways to describe this, since we don't have video on this, but is you know if if you're playing defense and there's a player in your own corner, so you're in the defensive zone. There's an opposing player in the corner, and uh, you know as a player you have it. You have a choice. You can either go out and initiate, or close the gap and back up and let them come to you. And, you know, in, in the, the men's game, we teach the difference between the two is called force versus contain. And so if the player's bobbling the puck or you've seen this player in action before and you know that, you know, he doesn't handle the puck very well or that he coughs it up under pressure or if he's got his back to you, you know, he's he's in the corner, picked it up and he, he hasn't turned around yet. Well, those are the three instances where you would force. You go out and initiate contact. Um and, and, and I'm not saying hit the player when he's got his back to you. I'm saying close that gap and you're the one that initiates. You close that gap, you get out there and you try actively try to take the puck off his stick. Um, if it's not any one of those three situations, then what we do is close the gap and then back up and let him come to us. And so I think it's pretty similar to what you're describing with the difference between how to play a one-on-one or that type of situation in a check game versus a non-check or body contact game. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I would say that's that's very similar. Um, you uh, you pointed out something that uh, that that I teach uh, my girls to do is that uh, if they're going into the corner where the puck is loose or the person has the puck uh, but they don't have really good control of it. In other words, a typical force situation in men's hockey, boys hockey. Right. Uh, what I t- what I teach the girls to do is check the stick. So, so what that means is you go in almost like you're going to do a body check, but instead of going shoulder to shoulder or, or initiating the contact there, what you do is you put your shoulder right in front of their shoulder. And so what in effect you're doing is you're pinning their stick against the boards. Well, if you go in and you pin their stick against the board and their body is now behind your body, you've just separated them from the puck and you'll come out with the puck. So you're able to accomplish the same thing as you would with a body check. uh, But in this case, you're checking the stick, not the body. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Angling, quick feet, squaring up, those are much more critical uh, you have to have faster feet in order to uh, to, to control and uh, be effective uh, in the women's game when you don't have uh, body checking uh, because you have to make sure that you stay squared up. I would say the same things that apply do not uh, overly depend on your stick. Uh, a lot of players in body contact, including women, uh, they if, if there's not body checking, I should say, um, then they overly re- re- you know, rely upon their stick and they start swinging their stick, which puts them um, off balance and vulnerable to uh, a good hockey player skating around them. So you want to square up. You still want to uh, put your stick in between their legs as they approach you so that you can control them and not let them skate around you. Uh, so those techniques are all the same. The, the, the difference is... Um, let the offensive player come to you rather than you go to the offensive player and initiate the hit. 
That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and, you know, along those, just one last thing is that, uh, the women, we talked about this in the differences episode, you know, the first, the first part, but the women are smaller. And so that makes angling that much more important because there's more room to maneuver. So focus on your skating abilities, focus on your agility, you know, angling and squaring up and body position. Those are all great things, but none of it, even if you understand those concepts, they can't be executed if you don't have proper, proper fundamentals on your skating stride, you know, forward, backwards, sidesteps, um, you know, different types of power turns and everything else. You got to be able to do it all if you even want to have a chance at playing proper body positioning in the non-check game. Absolutely. Okay. So what would your development strategy be then at the U18 level? I mean, just summarize, what are the main things for, for women that you're going to want to be focusing on at the U18 level and beyond? Well, I, I, uh, I hate to say this, but I think it's, unfortunately it's true, um, throughout the United States. And that is that, uh, that most girls, uh, when they, when they arrive at the, uh, competitive level, at uh, U18 or U19, that uh, that they have had uh, inadequate coaching up until that level, and and I, it's just unfortunate. But most of the really qualified, certified coaches um, have a tendency to gravitate towards the AAA boys caliber of play, or or junior A, or or major junior caliber, and so. Uh, girls either end up playing house league uh, hockey with boys uh, and don't necessarily have the kind of state travel team, double-A, triple-A caliber um, starting at a very young age. So, uh, you know, it's very unfortunate, but very often the girls arrive at the U18 level and really have not had the best coaching uh, in the world. And, uh, and that's sad. Uh, but what it means is that you do have to go back and, uh, and you reinforce the things that are the, the, the fundamental skills. Uh, and you don't cheat the, uh, the, 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 the training hierarchy or the hockey hierarchy. Uh, you go through all of those things and, and probably put uh, a little bit extra focus on skills development. And as we've spoken before, especially on shooting. And so you've got to bring the skill levels uh, up to a point. And the girls at this level, they learn very, very quickly. And they pick up systems very quickly. In my experience, more quickly than, than boys of the same age. Um, and They're, they're uh, more teachable. They're more coachable. Like guys at the same age, they, it takes a lot to convince them to listen to you and to do what you ask them to do. Yeah, I, I have you that, found that, that girls are more willing to listen? Yes, I think that by and large, on in, in general terms, they are. But I think they also, the way they learn is more precise. And they learn, uh, they learn a lot more from listening than they learn from uh, visualizing. So, so boys, it's like, you know, okay, will you, will you stop talking now? Just show me how it's done and I'll just pick it up. I'll watch, uh, you know, visualize and imitate. And, uh, but, but women have a tendency to to uh, synthesize the things that you're saying. And so it settles in. It's a, women, I think, have a, by and large, the girls have a more intellectual approach to learning um, hockey skills and hockey systems. And so they will pick up the systems 
very readily, very quickly, and they will execute the systems with much more precision uh, than, than boys who will be more rel uh, reliant upon their individual skills um, than what a, a, a typically trained girl would do. So, so you focus on that and, and, and make sure that they, you pick up the foundational physical skills that the girls require. Uh, and then, and then uh, because the girls often, uh, when you get to the competitive level, because they've played boys co-ed house league for most of their, uh, their time, instead of playing travel team at a, at a younger age or middle, you know, early teen years, uh, they haven't played nearly as many games. So literally, they just have not played as many games. A typical travel team will pay, play uh, 40 to 60 games a year. Some travel teams will pay, play even more than that. Um, but a typical house league season is going to be maybe 20 games. Yeah, you're so like you're getting 30. So, so, so you're getting half as many or even a third as many games. And the quality of those games are probably 12-minute periods instead of you know, 45 minute stop time periods, et cetera. So just the, the amount of, of playing time and particularly quality playing time is much less uh, than what you would have with a 17 or 18 year old boy uh, at the state travel level. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that they have not experienced um, the hockey patterns. They haven't witnessed firsthand uh, you know, what to expect cer during certain uh, forechecks, during certain regroups, during certain offensive attack approaches. So, so they're not as good at transition. Um, uh, I, th I think a simple way of putting it is that their hockey IQ is not as well developed as, as what it would be for, for boys of the same age and skill level. And, and so you need to work on two things in my mind. Repetition of skills is fundamental and make sure, especially with shooting, that they get enough repetitions that they can improve and they will improve dramatically if you give them the amount of repetitions that they require in their shooting. And then the second thing is IQ education. You've got to teach them the patterns of hockey. You have to teach them how to read and react. You have to teach them how to recognize forechecking systems and patterns and not only recognize what those patterns are, but how do you respond to them? You know, how do you respond to a 2-1-2 where, you know, the first person takes the body and the second person takes the puck? You know, you, you teach them to understand and visualize in their mind those patterns of hockey and, and, uh, and make sure that they know how to respond to those patterns in the most effective way to, uh, to counteract it. What have you found is the best way to actually do that? Do you do, do you do off ice chalk talks? What, what do you do with your players? Uh, learning in three ways, tell them, help them visualize it and then repetitions in performing it. And, and girls in particular, when you tell them they learn very quickly, then you draw it for them on the chalkboard but you visualize, you tell them first, you verbalize it first, then visualize, and then you apply it in practice. And uh, by the time you get to practice then and get on ice and actually start to do it, uh, it's amazing how fluid they will be at, uh, at actually executing it. Very good. Very good stuff. 
Um, one thing I want to do is just kind of hit the pause button on this and say, now that you've heard some of the problems that Coach Coach Weiss, my dad, has had, or not, I wouldn't even say problems, but some of the limitations that he's seen of players coming up and they arrive at a, you know, a travel level play, but having not had, you know, proper experience, enough games, adequate coaching, all that stuff, um, look back and may, you know, if you're listening to this and you're actually working with the U12 group of girls, then these are some areas where you can gain advantage over most of the other girls that you'll be playing against or coming up against in future years. So the key is always, you know, learn what to do and start it as soon as possible and pay attention. I always talk about, you know, understanding the history of the game so that you can understand where it's going and where you're going to be able to gain advantages in in future years. And I think <clears throat> I think with the women's game, this is a huge one that we're that we're we're talking about. There's there's been three or four points that my dad has brought out right now that if you can catch that at six or seven years old, or you know even a little bit older, you can still catch it. That by the time they get to be sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, they're going to be miles ahead of the girls that are that are that are coming up against them on other teams because by and large. You know, I know hockey's different, a little bit different, different places of the world, but by and large, most of the stuff that, that you're saying, I think holds true, generally speaking, across the board, you know? I mean, there, there, there's definitely going to be more women in the Northeast, more women players in, in Canada. So there may be differences, a little bit differences there, but by and large, I think the trends that you're talking about hold true no matter where you're located. So if you want to give your girls the best advantage, pay attention to these three or four points that he's just brought out that are, you know, that, that are weaknesses at this level and start with the young girls of addressing those. Start right away to address those and get those so that they're not issues, um, you know, by the time they get to that higher level play. So sorry to interrupt, but I just, I love finding things where there's going to be an advantage down the road and then pointing that out so that, you know, coaches can actually start doing that and, and making, you know, making differences because it makes a huge impact, huge difference. Well, and and uh, you know, just to to to, uh, to stress that point in a in a slightly different way, uh, I started coaching the U uh, nineteen state travel team this year. In previous years, uh, the team had um, had taken a, a, a quite a different philosophical approach to the team, and and they wanted to be more than rec league, more than house league. Uh, but the uh, the general philosophy of the team was not to uh, want to compete at the regional district or uh, national levels and uh, and they 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 had some very talented girls who uh, had not necessarily been exposed to a lot of great coaching and so what would happen is that the top caliber players uh, would end up leaving the state because they didn't have the kind of team that they were looking for and they'd go play in Texas or Colorado or other places where they could play on a team that truly wanted to uh, achieve their their highest potential that they could as a team and as a program. Well, well the Utah team decided that they wanted to uh, to escalate to that level. Uh, they asked me to take, take on the role of, uh, of, of head coach and the team literally because they are so when when a girl's team is motivated and focused they learn 
very, very quickly. And with the team as it was at the beginning of the year, I set certain goals based on what I would have expected from a comparable uh, boys state travel team at that age. And, and I have to tell you that in every single respect, uh, the girls surpassed what I would have expected them to do. And we came within uh, an overtime uh, goal of going to nationals at the uh, district tournament. Um, and they just progressed that much. And, and where, they, where they progressed the most was, was in the two areas that I said. We identified the two main areas of weaknesses and focused with repetitions and, and improving their physical skills in terms of shooting um, and agility. Those were the two things that we really focused on the most. And then we taught them systems where they would uh, be able to, uh, to recognize and understand the patterns of the game and, uh, and thereby imp improve their hockey IQ. And they improved with their focus and their dedication so much that we came to within an overtime goal of making it to nationals. Tremendous level of, uh, of progress that, that was made under that environment. Yeah, in a short amount of time. Yeah. Short amount of time. Well, that's excellent. Uh, would there be there, – there's one, uh, one question, one audience question that came in uh, over Facebook – wanted to ask that, but would there be anything else that you would want to add before we get to the, to the Q and a, no, the, uh, no, the, no, there really wouldn't be, but I would like to just reiterate one other point, And that is, uh, you know, remember that, uh, that, that there are a lot more similarities, uh, to coaching girls than there are differences between girls and boys and, and, uh, just be respectful, always respectful that they're hockey players first and they just happen to be girls second. Uh, rather than girls, you know, girl hockey players. I like that. I like that. Okay, so there was a couple questions, but we've actually hit. I don't want to, you know, reiterate questions that have already gone through and been answered. But here's a question for you. What would you recommend as a proper forecheck for non-contact hockey? Now, before you answer, this is one of those things where I've, I've, I sense that people handcuff themselves because of the the not and even the way that this this uh, this person had worded it, non-contact, it's not non-contact. It's non-check. So there's no check, but there is body contact. And so there's you, you have to understand that difference. Um, and then uh, you know, like I said, I think I think people get wrapped up in that and handcuff themselves as to what they think would work on the ice. So I'll I'll let you uh, take a take a swing at it first, and then you know add my two cents worth at the end. Um, well, I, uh, I really like it. And, 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 uh, interestingly, uh, my favorite forecheck, both for, uh, uh, you know, the junior, my, the junior hockey teams that I, that I coached in the past, the, the college teams, um, the AAA boys teams, my favorite forecheck, uh, whether it's in, uh, no check or, or, uh, in checking is, uh, is a one, two, two. And, and, uh, and I, I really, particularly with the women's game, if the truth be known, I think that it, the one, two, two is particularly well suited. And, and, uh, I like to do a one, two, two where the, uh, where the, the, uh, the attack person, uh, attacks from the outside in. And so let me uh, just pause you real quick. We have a video of this explanation and a video of it in action. Um, go to the website, whitestackhockey.com and just search one, two, two foosball forecheck. 
So sometimes these things are hard to explain over the audio, but if you want a video of it, go to the website and, and uh, take a look at it. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No problem. So the one, two, two, the first person flushes. Basically, they try and make sure that they're chasing the, the uh, other team to go from strong side to weak side. Uh, but in so doing, they're, they're actually playing right into the strength of the one, two, two, because we're anticipating that. And the two people, much like a foosball, they're sliding right across the faceoff dots. So, uh, and, and one goes to the boards and the other takes away the potential for a middle breakout. And so they're, they're protecting and they're, the, the chaser uh, is trying to force a pass. So they're applying pressure to force a pass. Uh, you know, since there is not body checking, uh, it makes it a little bit more different, difficult for a 2-1-2 two, two, uh, where the first person separates the you know, takes the body and the second one to the puck. So this this forecheck works absolutely brilliantly because it it applies pressure, forces a pass. The pass goes right into the uh, the pressure. It's almost the one two two foosball is almost like a neutral zone trap, but done in the offensive zone. Uh, so I, I like that kind of a, a process. Uh, you know, there you can uh, you know then utilize the strengths. Of of, uh, of intercepting passes rather than having to use uh, body checking techniques, and uh, and you uh, very quickly transition from defense to offense. And when you do so, you've uh, almost got a built-in uh, offensive attack triangle. It already sets itself up. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the one-two-two as well, um, both for men's and women's game. I would venture to say, and this is my personal opinion, but I would venture to say, it's it's almost any forecheck could almost be used in either situation, in either men's or women's across the board. My only probably exception would be uh, the 2-3 press that we used to run, which is a high tempo, high energy, very physical forecheck where, you know, one of the objectives is to put the other team on their heels and, and intimidate, um, you know, with, with hard hitting and, and a lot of pressure. So I'd say probably shy away from the 2-3 press with the women's game. It's It's the concepts can still work, but you're you're not going to have one of the most valuable parts of it, which is that um, holy crap, where'd that guy come from factor. Um, but the rest of them, you know, I mean, a two one two might not be as effective with non with non checking, but you can still run it. You can still have the first player put pressure on the puck carrier, and then whether you're running a stack or a spread, you know, a stack meaning the second player comes in and picks up the puck, uh, spread meaning the second player comes in wide and and seals off the potential for a D to D pass. Those can both still be, can both still be run. And I, I don't want to sell, I don't want people to sell themselves short thinking that they're handcuffed because of the rules of the game. When really, it really boils down to more of the fact or the question of, do my players have proper skating abilities and proper angling abilities and proper body positioning abilities to be able to angle a player and steer the play where we want it to go? And if so, then great. If not, you're going to have a hard time no matter what forecheck you use. And so I think it's not as much a question for me. It's not as much a question of, of what forecheck, but it's of can my players execute? Because really the only difference between checking and non-checking is like we described before is the pop. You can still get in there. You can still go shoulder to shoulder with a player. You just can't pop at the end of it and, and actually execute a check. But if you watched any of the uh, you know the women's Olympics, it was 
it was physical. It was a physical game. They were all over each other. Men, you know, the, the finals, the USA versus Canada, was just a physical game. And uh, was it USA versus Canada in the finals? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Canada Canada almost for the entire game used a 2-1-2-4 check. Yeah. I couldn't remember yeah. if it was the finals or the, the semifinals. I, I get the... I get the the men's and the women's games confused, but but my my impression was wow they're they're not shy you know they're they're playing real hockey here and they're executing real forechecks here and I don't I don't think that there's anything that really we can't do in the women's game uh, or that that we can do in the men's game that we can't do in the women's game you know with the exception of some of those really really aggressive forechecks like the two three press that we talk about but you know even a two three press can work you just don't have the intimidation factor. Yeah, and and we've used all all uh, all three of them. In fact, both variations of the two one two, the stack and the spread. Uh, we've we've used uh, all three of them in the women's game, and 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 they can be very effective. Uh, all three of them, even the two three press. Uh, but you're right. The uh, the one aspect of the two three press, you kind of have to dance around them a little bit. You can't, uh, you know, lay the 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 blue line to hash marks uh, body check on them that. Uh, you know that is pretty pretty impactful uh, in the normal two three press in body checking. Right. Well, I mean, you can you can still, yeah, you can still do other fat. You know, other things like uh, you know your aggressive contain that you talk about, where you you get in there quickly, but then you stop. So you're not actually finishing your check, but you're getting in there, and it's intimidating to have a player coming at you full speed, but then they stop and they they contain instead of instead of finishing with a check. Well, but, if you do focus on the puck, you can still go in. Hone in on the puck, just avoid the pull out body check at the time. Right. Perfect, man. Well, I think that about sums it up for uh, you know parts one, two, and three. But I've had a lot of fun doing this with you, man. I, I appreciate you making time for us. Um, we had to do it late at night because I've got rowdy kids during the day, and and uh, it makes it hard to have a, a quiet quiet space to do um, you know to do anything audio. But uh, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for coming on. It was and, a pleasure. Thank you. Yep, and uh, I'm sure there there will be a lot of learning that be able to take place because because of the things we've talked about. So I'm excited to get this out to to our folks, and I think it should be should definitely be something worth uh, you know worth listening to, and and something that'll benefit a lot of people. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man.